2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Stay tuned for the break if you have a hiring need to find out just how sweet ZipRecruiter can be for your company and its recruiting needs. Today we said we were going to talk about the schedule. We haven't really done that yet on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We have talked about it in passing, especially the day after it came out. We had a mailbag. We took some questions. We talked about it. I think we'll get into it in some more depth another day. We put out another call for questions today, and while we initially had a plan to just take a couple and continue on with what we had for regularly scheduled programming, we got another like 50 questions per usual, and we have 25 or so flagged for today. So we're just going to get right into the questions, unless there's anything you want to talk about first, Joe.
1: No, I think that we should just jump right into this. I was going to tell a whole story of why I was late recording, but I don't think anyone wants to listen to that.
2: I, I think one thing that may be worth mentioning is the A.J. Green comments. Did you see those today? He was yes. talking about how Marvin used to be, don't show up the defense, and Zach Taylor's
1: out there like, let's go fuck up the defense. You know what the the most key part of that was? Uh, Green saying that he it isn't just them telling you what to do. It's telling you They're why teaching. they do it. Yeah. yeah, and if you remember – Andrew Whitworth's comments about when he went to the Rams, he yeah. said the same exact thing two years ago. That they're yeah. not just teaching you, "Hey guys, you're supposed to block this guy on this play." It's why we're doing that, so this guy can do this, so this guy next to you can do that, or even more in depth, hopefully. Right. As, so, as long as they don't
2: ha- have to know what the person next to them is doing, because that was one of the complaints with Terrell Austin's defense, right? Is that they were confused. And they were they, they had too much to know, right? So right? As long as it's as long as this works, and I, and it sounds like it is. It sounds like the players are really excited about it. So great, but that. That's the
1: fear that goes along with it, right? Sure, but teaching why you're doing something instead oh, yeah. of just do it. It's like when you with kids, and uh, you know, you don't just tell them take out the trash. Tell them why they're taking out the trash. Yeah, and they'll have more respect for it, they'll, and they'll actually care for what they're doing. Tell them why a dollar is worth a dollar. You're right. That's the story. My son the, does not account. So
2: <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to mention. Is We had some people in our mentions talking about you guys are ragging too hard on Drew Sample. Give the kid a chance. No, here's the optimistic take on Drew Sample, right? These guys usually aren't drafted in the second round. And that's what we've been talking about. We're not talking about Drew Sample as a player. We both like Drew Sample as a prospect and think that he has some promise. And we've been talking about the reasons why that might be hard to fulfill, but The reason that he has a good chance of fulfilling that promise and the positive spin I put on this at the end of the conversation is he was drafted in the second round. He will have more chances than these guys usually get that are drafted in the fourth and fifth round to live up to all that potential because the team is going to want him more to succeed. As much as the team will say we want all our players to succeed no matter where we draft him, it doesn't matter where you were drafted once you get in the building. They they obviously have more investment in those second and first round picks.
1: Yeah, we talk about this with every position. It's it gets brought up whenever you say like the success rate versus the first, second, third rounder versus guys that are afterwards, and you can tell some you know those premium picks get more opportunity to develop, longer to develop, and and, and maybe even more care behind the scenes, right? So yeah. it, still, you come back to the part of the sample pick is those type of guys don't get drafted round two and we if you look at it that way and say there's really no history of an unproductive receiving exactly. tight end going round two getting the development time and opportunity of a round two guy it's a complete unknown which again still leads us to the same outcome i think we've always come to is that that's a risk but we like true sample
2: yeah that that i think is a caveat right it's a risk but There are all these reasons to believe that he'll have every chance to succeed. And obviously, we hope he succeeds. So I hope that's clear to everybody out there listening. Now, I think we can close the door on Drew Sample for a while. Unless we have a question about him. I didn't read all of them ahead of time. I think Joe did the favoriting today.
1: There may have been one in there.
2: Okay. Well, here we go. The first question comes from Tyler Lindsay. We actually have the first two from Tyler. They're grouped together here nicely. So the first one is, would you like the NFL to have a lottery system like the NBA has for their draft? Tyler after asking the question also says tanking, isn't
1: really an issue for the NFL, but it could still be interesting. I think tanking can be an issue, especially those final few weeks. You see guys going on injured reserves. Think of the Bengals last year. They weren't tanking. Right. And I don't think they even know how to tank and they should have lost more games. Right. But the way when you're out of it and you just put guys on IR and call guys up and your roster goes from being even for a bad team uh commendable to completely crap over the last final weeks and you you lose even the bad team so i think tanking can be an issue in december but thinking of the lottery i would like the lottery i'd like it a lot and i I, what is it take maybe the bottom eight teams maybe the bottom ten teams and throw them in there and and weight them based on their record so maybe the top team doesn't get that pick i'll say five maybe would be where i would cut it off but regardless continue the NHL, if you have the worst record, you're guaranteed either the first or second pick at the very least. So you may not get the first, but, you can, but you'll but you get the second if you don't win the lottery, which I think there's some merit to that too. I think maybe a top three pick if you have the worst record, sure, but maybe yeah. it's not automatic. You get the number one.
2: Yeah, that, that sounds good to me. I think I also think tanking is a bit of an issue in the NFL, and I think it will get to be more of an issue in the NFL as teams wisen up a little bit. Which they seem to be doing as it pertains to the draft. You see a lot more strategy going into it. Yeah. So I do, I love the idea of a lottery. I think it needs to be less severe than the NBA lottery, which continues to develop to be more punishing to the teams that tank. Because you're right, it's not as severe an issue in the NFL as it is in the NBA. And there are fewer players on an NBA court. The impact in the NFL is I can get a premier quarterback. The rest of the right. players you can draft, even if it's Quinn and Williams, who we had as by by and far away the best player in the draft, and you still expect a quarterback to go number one almost every year. Because yeah. a quarterback is that much more important than every other position on the football field. So it's really a lottery that is saying, okay, well you pick top three, maybe you can still get a quarterback at that point relatively easily without giving up too much capital. And and then you know you come back in round two and then you give them the
1: first pick. And right. also, if right, you would rotate that way. And also, if you really, you say you end up with the second pick and you really want number one and the team that gets number one doesn't need a quarterback, well, then you, you're going to have to pay a little more to go get it and you can still do it. So it doesn't preclude you from going to get your exactly. guy still. Yep. You're just going to have to you know, pay for it for being the worst team in the league and not getting the top pick. Which I
2: think uh, is fine.
1: Right, parity
2: in the NFL is is strong enough as is, and maybe that's because they don't have a lottery. But I, I don't think you need to
1: reward. I don't know, Ten especially are with really the tiebreakers the way they are now. It already feels very random as it is. And you're using strength of schedule and and you know ha- instead of head to head matchups and things like that to decide yeah. who's the worst team. Well. Yeah. Things get a little weird. Sometimes it's not always the number one pick. It could be number five versus six. And, you know, I think all that should be accounted for.
2: The more we've Uh, talked about this, the more I've thought tanking isn't much of an issue. What's our next question?
1: It's from Tyler Lindsay also. He says, what has been your favorite year to cover the draft after all these years of doing it? I don't really cover the draft. So I think this question is for you, Joe. Oh, okay. Well, I think 2012 was, and it's because 2011 was such a surprise. They got what I believe was, you know, two franchise guys, first and second round, adult and Dalton Green. I loved uh, bowling that year, also, so I was really high on the following year. Remember, they got a first round pick from Carson Palmer, and they got a second round in 2013. So, right. yeah. 2012 was fun. They not only I, I loved the strategy of it. I remember digging in hard that year. That was one of the years I really. I, you know, personally, career-wise in, in the field, I, I made a lot of headway, and they were okay. I mean, that, that that draft set them up in a lot of ways, getting Marvin Jones in the fifth round, but I mean, even in the mid-rounds, when we thought De- uh, Devin Still was going to be a big player, or, or um, Brandon Thompson, Orson Charles, I thought was a fun pick at the time. I really liked Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, George Aloka in the fifth? Yeah, right. It was just a good draft. It was the foundation draft back-to-back after 2011. It really felt like doing that two years in a row i thought man they're going to have a chance they're going to have a chance to do something and at the time i was still really high on on dalton uh you know being more than than he than what he ended up being or is and so i was that was an exciting year a fun year and i i had personal success that year so uh, i remember that year fondly
2: you remember when we were all
1: so sure the bengals would draft david DeCastro? Yeah, yeah yep yeah, yep yeah. that was an odd one that's a very similar um you know, situation. I think a lot of people have talked about taking. You, you know, if you trade back and get a different offensive lineman, allow someone else to take your guy. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I think about that year a lot now, we, we, and we can thinking about Kevin Zeitler versus David DeCastro and how how the Bengals saw him as almost equals, but I think everyone else was like, "No, man, DeCastro is is on another Zetler's level." Zeitler's a very
2: good player, but DeCastro. I mean, DeCastro's had injuries, but definitely another level. I think I am just looking at it. I really liked it up until 2014. And then 14, 15 were kind of like dud years. We didn't yeah. like the draft pretty much at all. And then. That was got... my
1: least favorite. That was my. If you want to ask the opposite end of this, the least favorite I ever had was 2014, because I was really high on their drafts, right? And people started to know me for being a good draft analyst and a Bengals analyst. And then 2014 hit, and I said, whoa. Guys, this is a bad draft for the first time since people have followed me for three, four years. I'm like, this this sucks. And then twenty fifteen came and I said, This is bad too. And they're like, You're just being negative. And I'm like, No, I, I think these are bad drafts and I wasn't I didn't know how to portray it. I didn't know how to lay it out for everyone. Yeah, you still do. I, I know now how to do it and and how I would have said it then. Uh, but I tried to say it then as best as I could. And then it got a little fun again in 2016 when the yep. draft started making sense again.
2: 2017, a lot of the picks make sense again. 2018, a lot of the picks make sense again. 2019, again, a lot of the picks make sense. So we yep. had a couple of years in there where we don't really know what happened.
1: Transition but... years. And I think we've got a question coming up that will lean into that also.
2: All right. Our next question comes from Kagan at Seeing the Draft. Welcome back to the podcast, Kagan and Tyler. Both of you have had questions answered before. The discussions at the end of yesterday's episode about next man up triggered my memory of Lewis Riddick quote from after the draft. He said backups for the most part are not less talented, but are backups due to less
1: consistency. Do you agree? I uh, do agree to some extent. I I think it's different for every team, obviously, but depending on depth and talent Uh, for the Bengals, largely, uh, it could be a backup running back be giovanni bernard it's not he's not less talented than than joe mixon in terms of you know being talented enough to have a productive offense i think what you dip into the third fourth running back especially last year yeah you are less talented uh but at the same time it doesn't have to be that way for every position the bengals have done it at tight end let's say when they've gone from eifert to croft to Ozama, not less talented between croft and Ozama, but different and more inconsistent, especially Uzama earlier in his career. So I, I would agree with that. I think there are special cases and different cases, but case by case for every position and each team. Uh, but largely I do think I agree with that.
2: I I don't. I think backups are generally less talented and that's why they're backups for the most part. I mean, sometimes I think. Is backups... consistency
1: a talent though?
2: Well, I would say that with certainty, you know, you look at there, and and this assumes that the starter is the best player of that position on the team, right? So right. this is like going back to when you know Carl Lawson wasn't getting on the field as much as you wanted, or you know when when they they kept okay Mathis. Let's go back to Evan Mathis and Nate Living's right. Nate Living's. This is a case where the backup is clearly a better player, right? But that more, is th-
1: more talented too.
2: Yeah, and I think that that is a minority case. And I guess I'm thinking about talented differently than you are. I'm not thinking about talented in terms of like just raw natural athletic talent. I'm thinking about – I'm, I'm sure. maybe thinking – I'm maybe conflating it with skill.
1: Because yeah, that could be the case too, right? Like you we, – we talked about this yesterday off the pod when we're looking at undrafted guys signing and like the relative athletic score are all under five, right? For the most part. You get a handful of guys. But mm-hmm. the guys drafted are usually average seven to eight on the relative athletic score. They're usually – Athletic yeah. guys on the grand scheme of things. Undrafted guys aren't. So your your 53-man roster is going to be full of guys that are talented in terms of raw athleticism. Well, they're now, all
2: the best football players in exactly, the world, right? You get to exactly. the point where the difference between one guy to the next guy is is Could small, be consistency. But, I mean, even, even, even if it's consistency, even if the difference is small, those small differences become very visible at this level because
1: everybody is so damn good. Oh, for sure. And I think when we think of the Bengals also because – past Marvin Lewis era was I think they held consistency in high regard sometimes to a detriment to their own roster and and starting roster Uh, this might be a Duke Tobin thing too if you look at who they re-signed it may be and thinking of Christian Westerman not being able to take snaps over you know we've talked about what they just view West they did view Westerman as this completely inconsistent wild card not only in practice but in in meetings and uh, on Sunday Uh, why can't Carl Lawson get on the field over Michael Johnson even though it's can be dictated by situation and game. We know one guy's more talented than the other. We know he's a better player than the other. But they enjoy the consistency level of expect expectation out of Michael Johnson, out of Doma Matapaco, out of Ray Maluga, the Honey Jones. I mean, it may be more true for the Bengals of past than it is for other teams.
2: Yeah, they definitely value experience, valued experience, and and familiarity with the system. Yep. You could say for those guys, and 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 familiarity with the player too.
1: Definitely. Next question, Bryson Coke. How do you how do you say last name? Am usually right that's here? Coke. Yeah, and usually it's Coke. Okay. If given the chance, how does Jermaine Pratt fill the void left by Montez Berfect?
2: Well, we've been feeling that void for for two years now, or at least a year. Sure, no, four uh,
1: years. I mean, almost.
2: Yeah, the, with the way he's missed games. Yeah, I mean, you hope he comes in and he's you know every bit of the player Berfect was. Burfict did it though in a totally different way than I think we expect Pratt to. I, I don't, I mean, perfect was one of the smartest linebackers on the field when, when yeah. he was, when he was playing his, his ability to diagnose plays being in the right place at the right time is like historically very, very good. It's why he was good. It's, and, it's and, yeah. the
1: only reason he
2: was good. Well, he, I mean, had he was the very power powerful. And, player.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and he could tur- flip that switch and turn it to a nut, which was good when it was good. And uh, you know, that's, that's a quality you'd like to have on a lot of people, but and his right, his intelligence is what got him there because it wasn't his athleticism. He wasn't in great shape, and you it know, was yeah, it was the power, weighed, the strength, and the and the intelligence. Yeah, yeah, and that's so. How does how does Pratt fit in, and can he fill that that void? Well, I think that's the biggest unknown from the outside. Is usually until you get word of it or or a tip off, we don't know the intelligence level of these guys. I I, I know Pratt was calling defensive huddles and. College and at the Senior Bowl, and I think that means he's he's smart and can it's do a good it. Make side, the
2: especially the Senior Bowl part.
1: Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed that, and by all accounts, he is that kind of guy. So that should be a good thing. And I, I do think he's a it, in comparing him comparing him to perfect, he should be a better athlete. I think overall, he's a powerful tackler. He's a powerful hitter. He's not afraid of contact, especially taking on blockers. Mm-hmm. You could get a level of play that is comparable and it depends it
2: makes on, time. I think it depends on which perfect you're talking about too because yeah. there were times when perfect was a top three linebacker in the NFL yep if you take his career on average and even if you leave out the really bad stuff last year he's probably still a top 10 linebacker in NFL you you're asking now a third round pick to be an elite linebacker which that's probably best case for for Pratt who yeah. I think can be a very solid player but you know his high end outcome is is Vontes Burfect's, you know average good year
1: and Burfecht had peaks and valleys and his valleys yeah. were low and his peaks were really high but yep. he, didn't, he didn't he didn't touch either one of those he kissed both of those right he was he while his i would say he was wavy through his career uh you know his his peak of 2014-15 and his valley of 17-18 was uh Especially 18 was short lived, and because he missed half the year most of the time, anyway. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say what really perfect was over a stretch of his career. I'd like to say, average wise, he was a very good linebacker still, uh, but it was so few and far between.
2: Yeah. Next question comes from Dustin Walls at DustyBalls08, another frequent asker of questions because I won't forget that Twitter handle. Who are you most excited to see play? in the new scheme i'm really excited to see mixon and i'm hopeful for a ross breakout love the pod listen every single day thanks dustin we appreciate your loyal listenership and i think these are both guys we've talked about
1: yeah we have and that i think they're the two that everyone brings up when they're when I'm thinking of the scheme i'd love to see aj green yeah finally i was just gonna say scheme. aj you know, green's the
2: guy for me man put him with an offensive mastermind let him get schemed yeah. open a little more yeah
1: Right, it's like we've. Ha- it's funny because we've seen tremendous play out of Green. We've seen nearly Hall of Fame level, and I, I say nearly because I'm not sure he's there yet. He's never had been an All Pro. If you look at uh, Hall of Fame receivers, they usually at least an All Pro one time. AJ Green, I think we haven't seen his maximum, and there's a lot of factors why we haven't. But one of them is an offensive team with an offensive coach. I think has a lot of impact on that. So. I'm excited for green. I'll say green, and I hope I didn't steal your guy.
2: Yeah, no, it's green.
1: Okay. <laughs> Still your guy here. Uh, I'll go to the next question, That's from Jake Walton. Jake asks, is Nick Vigil actually good or just the best linebacker we have?
2: The thing with Nick Vigil is he's never put it all together. Right. If he could do all the things that he's been good at in his career well at the same time, he would be a really good linebacker. But when he starts to put one thing together, something else seems to to fall off. Like when he's good in coverage, he suddenly can't tackle. Right. When he's when he's making plays in the run game, well, now you're giving up plays in coverage. So he has all the pieces, and he's also had health issues too, right?
1: That's. I think that's the biggest thing.
2: But you know, you've seen all the pieces from him over the years, and you just wonder, well, if he can stay healthy and put it all together, well, maybe you have, you know, a top. I don't know. What would you say? Twenty, twenty-five, thirty. Yeah. Yeah. If, he, if he if he puts all the good stuff you've seen together at the same time. There's at like, least
1: 64 starters, yeah. and there's as many as 90. So, sure. yeah, he could be in the top 50, and you'd feel good with that.
2: I would say that the, the biggest issue for him last year was tackling. He suddenly f- forgot how to tackle, and, and he has he's had some tackling issues over his career, but never to the extent that he did
1: in 2018. 2017 was the real bad year now 18 was still bad but because he missed time again he never he, he I think he missed 17 tackles in in 2017 and it was nine or so or 10 in 2018 you're gonna fact check me because you do Jake but I will say both can be true Nick Vigil is their best linebacker right now I, I believe that completely uh when I looked at numbers because people were talking about Vigil on my timeline the other day he was uh near the top and run stop percentage uh based on pff he also did not give up a touchdown in coverage one of nine linebackers in the entire league to not give up a touchdown two really good numbers serious so telling me he had a high percentage run defense stops and he didn't give up a touchdown that's i like those those now there's a lot of things in between those are cherry pick stats there's he's not a complete player he, he struggles taking on blocks he struggles shedding blocks he struggles making tackles outside of his radius and i think that's what gets him at times uh he he looks soft because of it, because, you know, he's diving at guys and, and still coming up short. And I think sometimes in coverage, and we talked about this with the scheme, I hated it for the linebackers. I think it aired them out completely and made them look worse than they really were. Uh, there are times where, Vigil has been in position to make a really big play, and he hasn't come through with it. And I think he's a couple big plays in coverage of, of, away from people thinking of him differently as a coverage linebacker. Because I do think he still is their most complete athlete at that position, and um, I still think he's a starter. If anything, he's the most starter of the of the guys that are going to be competing this year. Yeah, and you're, you're right.
2: His tackling was worse in 2017 than 18. Actually, it's gotten better every year as a pro. And tackling has been. The biggest issue for him, out of the yep. things that you really need Nick Vigil and his skill set to do, right? He's because also because he's not
1: going to be a powerful guy. I'd like him to be a sure wrap up tackler.
2: Yeah, and he there's no reason that he can't be.
1: Right. I don't know. Maybe we should go check his arm length. I don't remember what it is. <laughs> That's funny. I know because it's it's got to be over thirty two though because uh, almost all their guys are yeah, right. It must be.
2: Our next question comes from Logie B five one three, and it's not about Andy Dalton. What? The official no spoiler game no spoiler ban on Endgame expires Monday. Can we expect a Marvel movie Monday? And this is quote tweeting a Rousseau Brothers tweet that says the the official I guess
1: spoiler ban ends on Monday. So are we going to talk about it Monday? Is that the question? Yeah, I'd I'd uh, I'd like to talk to, about it to some extent. Maybe if we I mean we're not going to dedicate a show to it, but we may give you guys 5 or 10 minutes of what we thought because I, to be honest, people have asked for it. I'm not ready for it. You can do it on Twitter. I, I, I
2: don't think I'm ready to put it on this on this medium yet because there's going to be people that, that don't follow us on Twitter. I mean, I guess they're listening today. but I, Right. I, so I, I, just, gonna, I
1: just don't want to surprise people, man. I if we I would save it hate... for the final 10 minutes and say, listen, we're going okay. to talk about it for these last 10 minutes. If you have yep. not seen it, bail out now. We appreciate you listening, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah, that's the way we would do it. Okay. We figured it out. Yeah, Next man. question is from Adam Suver. And yes, this is for you, Jake. So I'm glad I'm asking. He goes, Jake, are you in a D&D campaign now? What kind of character do you play? Love the show. You and Joe are great. Thanks, Adam. We appreciate that, Adam. Adam, always nice to
2: hear the positive remarks. Am I in a D&D campaign right now? I was, I was GMing. I was running the game for some friends up until a couple weeks ago. And then I killed them all. <laughs>
1: I didn't know that you didn't tell me this actually. <laughs> yeah, they
2: they all tried to fight a god that they shouldn't have fought and they all died. And and actually they killed the god too, so good on them. It was everybody died. It was it was uh you know a glorious
1: battle. Huh? She she
2: kind of exploded when she died, she was a goddess of disease. And she exploded into a disease cloud which then finished off the few standing Members and of the started party. a
1: plague. This well, actually,
2: yeah, everyone's dead. This, this is everyone yeah. in the world. Uh, every well, so they they <laughs> they were in this uh con- contained demi plane, it's called the Demi plane of Dread. So, if you're listening, you know what Dungeons and Dragons is, it's the curse of Strog campaign. And I, I, you know, you make some changes, but anyway, there's there's this there's this realm of existence that's been severed from the rest of where the rest of humanity and all the other fantastical creatures of Dungeons and Dragons live, okay. And so one of my characters was brought back to life. One of my player characters was brought back to life after the character died by this goddess. And he entered a pact with her. And part of the deal was he had to spread her plague around. And so he eventually infected a wine bottle. And wine being a hot commodity. Jesus Christ, Jake. It it led to a plague that wiped out the whole, a whole city. And yeah not great uh but the last time this i
1: played is not the, the plot line for end game by the way
2: <laughs> uh the last time i played i played a bard because i really like their utility and i like screwing with my dungeon master when i'm a player and bards get to screw with their dungeon master the most they're the most um what's the word i want to use annoying class i think to dm around because they have so many tools to disrupt your plans
1: so they're Wario and, and uh, Mario Kart.
2: Mm, I don't have a comparison off the top of my head right
1: now. Okay. <laughs> next question.
2: Our next question comes from Alex. As CBJ Alex underscore LAX. Is Stanley Morgan undervalued because he
1: played in Nebraska? I don't think that's the case. Uh, I will say, though, I do think players of a certain college will be overvalued sometimes if their predecessor has also had success. I think that is the case right now with Drew Sample, even though we're not, we said we want to talk about him again. But Will Disley uh, was Washington's wide tight end the year before Sample was, and Disley was taken in the fourth round by the Seahawks. And Disley had a fantastic start to his his career, uh, four games and he got hurt, but He had a fantastic first game against the Broncos and exploded as a receiver also. And he's a fantastic blocker. So I think people looked at, teams looked at Sample and pushed him up. But when you look at Stanley Morgan Jr., the last guy he, the the guy he replaced and broke records was Kenny Bell, I believe his name was, went to the Bucs, was like a fifth round pick, did nothing. And Mm -hmm. I think that does have an impact sometimes. We will say as analysts, don't look at the helmet, stop doing that when we're talking to other fans. But I do think NFL teams look at him. So I do think... Yeah, I, it's hard not to, right? It's hard not to make those comparisons sometimes because those programs recruit similar type players, so it's very possible that they're similar guys, and when they when they're ready to go to the NFL, uh, so I I do think it has an impact, but at the same time, I think outside the outside world valued Stanley Morgan very highly, and if it was us drafting and and us by I mean internet scouts, it, he would have been a mid round pick easily.
2: And you go listen to the Colt series, and I highly encourage you to check this out. The Colt series on YouTube right now where they have like the inside the draft. They, they literally show you war room footage of them talking really? about trades and stuff. It's amazing. It's really, really well done.
1: I need to watch that.
2: They, they talk
1: about how,
2: actually you hear them in the second round debating between Ben Benagu and Bobby Okareki, who they then drafted two rounds later, which Crazy. I thought was really cool when when teams say they had a second round grade on them that's kind of some proof that they're not lying about it right? Oh, I believe they really do, yeah. Yeah, so it, the 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 thing that they were saying is a lot of those undrafted guys they end up signing or guys they had draftable grades on. The Colts have a, about 170 guys on their board is what they said in this video. Okay. So, it, you know, Stanley Morgan for the Bengals might have had a very draftable grade and it just didn't work out that way. So, they might be thrilled to get him. And you see what the the what the Cowboys guaranteed uh Mitch Hyatt and and you can see they, they almost certainly had a, a draftable grade on him too definitely we're going to go to a break before we get to our next question Joe Okay, and we're going to tell our fine listeners about ZipRecruiter I know some of you have actually contacted us interested in using the podcast as a means of recruitment and if that's you well I encourage you to still do that but if you are working at a company that needs to hire somebody definitely go check out ZipRecruiter. You hear about them on the radio. You've heard about them on this podcast a few times. And ZipRecruiter knows that hiring is hard. There's all these different job sites out there. You're If you're dealing with paper resumes, you have a stack of resumes and you're looking at them for 10 seconds each. You're trying to get through it. But ZipRecruiter's here to make hiring easier for you. And all you have to do to get it done is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Just to repeat here, the benefits that we've talked about before, ZipRecruiter will send your job to over 100 of the the Internet's leading job boards at once. And with their matching technology, they'll scan through all the resumes that come in to find people with the right experience and invite them proactively to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter will analyze each one and will spotlight the top candidates so you don't miss out on somebody that you might have missed out on if you're viewing them manually. And then finally, a really interesting point to me is that they're so good that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. Just to repeat, ZipRecruiter.com L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Go check out ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: or you switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or maybe you just rode the stock market to the moon and back. Any of those things that you did or any other moves that you made, TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and every deduction you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy and getting you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax today, make your moves, they'll make them count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.
1: Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It is part two of our weekend mailbag edition. And we're going to hit right back into it. This from sad Bengals fan85. He is our spirit animal with that handle. Uh, he asks <laughs> if all players. I'm not players, sad. No, <laughs> depressed Bengals fan85. I'm fine. I'm fine. Is, Is it 85 because of Chad Ochocinco, or are you born in 85? I'd like you to answer that one for us. But uh, if all skilled players on the Bengals were superheroes, Marvel or DC, or even more, right, uh, who would each be? And we're not going to do all of them because we don't have 90 minutes to give you. I mean, I'd love to, but uh, we're going to pick one each and see if we can come up with a comparison here. Jake, what do you got? What if it's 85 for Tyler Eifert? Oh, okay. You know what? I, I still always assume 85 is Chad, don't you?
2: Yeah. I mean, you have to, right? All
1: right, Ocho Cinco, for a reason.
2: I'm trying to battle my instinct to to put AJ Green with, like, Mr. Fantastic.
1: I think that's fair, though.
2: Yeah, come back to me. You're going to have a better answer.
1: Okay, I'm going to say Giovanni Bernard is Ant-Man, and because he can shrink down but still have the density and size of a normal-powered running back. Yeah. I mean, John Ross could be the Flash. True.
2: Gino could be the juggernaut. I'm going to do that one. I like that one. Gino Atkins is a juggernaut. You can't stop him. If you can get any
1: type of momentum, he becomes unstoppable.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Uh, Next question, Same, same asker of questions. If you could pick two new cities for expansion teams, what two cities would you choose? I have never thought about this, but now that I have, I know my answer. Well, do you have any Canadian cities? Well, yeah, Vancouver,
1: because then I could go over and catch a game. I was gonna to say Toronto also, but then I started to think because you know if I go to a Bills game, which I have plenty of times, there is a lot of Canadian fans there. Canadian fans, I don't mean like you know what I'm saying. Anyways, and it would probably dig into the Bills attendance. I think if there was a team in Toronto, so I I, I kind of take that back. I think the largest city is what Portland without a NFL franchise in the so, US. Yeah, I think it is Portland.
2: Uh so, yeah, I guess so. San Antonio, What about, what about
1: Vegas? Sacramento? I guess Vegas right? just, is about Vegas is getting the, one. the Raiders, yeah. yeah. What, so about, get, what about what like, Austin, team, Texas? Then. Right. Doesn't Austin, I mean, they're kind of, how far is that from Dallas? I have no idea. I'm not very good at no. Texas geography. <laughs> Me either. Because I was going to say, where's San Antonio to Dallas? Wait a second. Where? What
2: about what Columbus, Ohio? Isn't Columbus just as big as Cincinnati and Cleveland? I guess there's bigger cities, yeah.
1: And you don't need one in between, no, that would be wild, man, because is kind of nice because it grabs all of Kentucky also,
2: yeah, you know, I can't. what other
1: cities need a team? no, I, I think you're right on Vancouver. I think that'd be awesome, and then I, we I can do call them Toronto. the Vancouver Grizzlies, okay,
2: in the spirit of the <laughs> hockey joke? No, they're the basketball team, they're now the Memphis Grizzlies. That's right. forgot about that. Joe doesn't watch other
1: sports guys, I like other sports. I just, football has become such a year-round thing for me that I've dropped out. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a favorite team for every major sport, but I, I can't tell you the last time I've watched any of those teams. That's how yeah. bad it is. Uh, next question is
2: from you know Andrew. What? Hold on. The other place I'd put a new expansion team is Cincinnati. Give them two teams. Let's go. Give the Cincinnati fans somebody that's not owned by Mike Brown.
1: Okay. you're We've lost Jake, guys. Let me move on. <laughs> questions from Andrew88G. Assuming they both make the roster, who, if any, makes the bigger leap this year? Cody Core or Josh Malone? How old are they? Josh Malone. He's Malone's younger, younger. Right? He's yeah. way younger. Malone. Yeah. Core, Core he, I think, is a finished product. I do, too. I also agree with that, even though Core didn't have as much playtime and production and was raw coming out. I think there's a difference between being raw and being unnatural. I think Core is unnatural. I think Josh Malone was raw. If that makes sense. And what I, and now I'm getting we're getting into football f- uh, philosophy for this question instead of just answering it. But to me, I think Marcus Hunt was unnatural. And now he developed in five years. So it could happen for Cody Corp. But I think there's a lot more cases of guys being raw because they are inexperienced and need to learn the finer points of the game. And that is Josh Malone, in my opinion, where I think a guy is more unnatural, where he doesn't track the deep ball well. Uh, Isn't isn't a... very aware route runner, I think, in in Cody Core's sense. Sometimes you got to break things off. Sometimes you got to come back for the ball, do a different a little, you know, t- uh, leaning here or there or not leaning in order to sell your route. And I think Core still struggles with a lot of those things, especially tracking the deep ball. So uh, I think it's going to be a harder for Cody Core to hit that jump. But I do think it could happen. I, I'm going to side with Josh Malone because of age and inexperience. And, it, I mean, just based off maybe – Intangible upside, if it is intangible, I do think he has some.
2: He was always a higher rated prospect. When he well, went yeah. in the fourth round, you looked at it and it was like, Yeah, okay, that's reasonable. Cody Core went in the sixth round. Yeah, okay, that's, that's reasonable.
1: Right. And and Malone could've went in the third, I think, honestly. It was a that was a interesting draft class. As we saw three guys go top ten.
2: Yeah. They have very similar RAS scores. That's what I was looking at there. I was I was checking their athleticism and they both have roughly the same athleticism. Right. Our next question comes from Caleb at OSU underscore Bengals. Who is the worst national
1: media sports member? Hard question. Um, I don't, it's hard for me to say. I think the easy one is if everyone says Stephen A. Smith. But I, I honestly feel bad for Stephen A. because, I even, for, obviously, he gets paid a lot of money, and they ask him about every single sport across the entire leagues of every team, and I that's got to be difficult. So I feel bad, and I know he gets paid to be able to tell that who's the tight end that he didn't think, that wasn't on the roster anymore for the Chargers or been out all year, and when he says Ray this is a is a runner. Things like that, very good example. And those things shouldn't slip you by, but... I know how things go off script sometimes. I've never been on live TV, but I've been on radio. And when things go weird, sometimes that you get a question, or you get into a scenario or something that you don't feel completely confident in. So my criticism would be to say, eh, actually, I don't know, or I shouldn't speak on this because I don't feel confident, but... I think they pay him a lot, and he feels he should speak on everything, and, and that's when he gets in trouble. Stephen A. stuck to his guns on
2: Dwayne Haskins. He took to Twitter when he heard that outrage. He was like, yeah. "I just feel, in my personal evaluation, I shouldn't do a Stephen A. Smith voice, but you know, he's like, I just feel in my personal evaluation that he's more of a runner, and it's just there's so much facts in your face to tell you you're wrong. But you know who I'll say instead? Skip Bayless. I just can't stand that dude. The other dude I'll say. Is uh, Jim? Uh, what's his last name? Used to be Rome. the GM of the Reds. Jim, oh, I don't know who you're talking about. Then uh, he writes for ESPN now. He does. He, he used to be the general manager of Cincinnati Reds, and I think he's pretty bad.
1: Your uh, your Stephen A. Smith impression was terrible. I think it's more like, are you telling me that the that Dwayne Haskins is not a runner. I've seen that man run and score touchdowns. He is
2: yeah. a runner and he is a weapon in the NFL. I never said I was good at impressions. Was that
1: good or bad? It was probably better than mine. I don't know. Okay, great. Next question from Aaron Parker at Meme Bengal. Mem Bengal? MEM Bengal? Anyways, we've talked to Aaron a lot. Hey, Aaron. Question coming from part two of a tweet from AJ Green quote so even bringing up the quote we talked about and we did so Aaron I'm sorry' for stealing your thunder there I didn't realize uh, your question was coming up what was the actual question at the end of this though
2: why did well, Marvin why did Marvin approach a practice that way and I think yeah. I think Aaron actually somebody else answered this and I agreed with their answer that Marvin yeah Jake Nolan answered this question on behalf of the podcast I guess. Marvin was an old, hard-nosed defensive coach. A good one of that; those co- those coaches tend to be more fiery, and and I think that is probably a big part of it. He was a defensive yeah. guy. The defense was his baby, and you know he he had a he had a lot of old school to him, and a lot of you know, don't show up your
1: teammates. You know, be good teammates to one another. You know, but I also feel defensive court coaches are more grind it into submission pound the rock until the rock breaks right keep chopping wood yeah. until the until the tree comes down where an offensive yeah. coach is more figure out how to get around the tree or get around that rock or or make do or, or build a bridge over the, the river rather than just trudge through it right or, or, or I, use a boat and and a chainsaw right. <laughs> All right, let's figure this out and rather than just beat our own selves in the submission yeah. so uh and that's just my own personal feeling of how i think defensive and offensive and traditional versus young, old and young may think about that sometimes oh i and am so
2: excited for people to get in your mentions with exceptions to that rule and be like what about what about this guy and that guy and this guy
1: there's always exceptions to every uh, rule
2: there's always exceptions guys don't talk to us about exceptions next question comes from bengal's talk Whoops. this is our man right here bengal's talk if Jonah Williams was drafted in the top 10 prior to the Bengals selection at 11, along with both White and Bush, who do you think the Bengals would have drafted? Since they valued a blocking tight end, do you think they would have gone Hawkinson if that scenario, if he was available?
1: I feel I like love this talk question talked about this. Was it off yep. there? It, it was. We were not recording when we talked about this, I believe, unless it was like live reaction stuff. But, um, so let's say Hawkinson output Jonah Williams in that scenario to the Lions – it's funny because we overlooked Hawkinson, I think, at the time. But then they go in round two and prioritize a blocking wide tight end. Yeah. There's I think this is I mean, yeah, they could have it could have it could have happened. I think that would have been a fantastic pick if it did happen, and I don't know where they go in round two afterwards, because it definitely has a trickle down effect. Or maybe they they're more willing to give up more picks to move up and yeah. get Juwan Taylor or Cody Ford. Or they don't draft back two. and
2: they make Denver give them Dalton Reisner.
1: Yeah, I think that is a scenario that could have played out. That may have worked for them if, but obviously that wasn't an option because Hawkinson was gone. So I, I like the question and I like the idea and that scenario coming up.
2: At the same time, I, I still think they would have gone tackle. I think they were tackled dead set unless you think they would Devin want Diller? was there. Uh, maybe. Over Hawkinson? They might have traded back. They might have in that scenario. They might have tried it anyway. No, they didn't try. They wanted
1: Jonah. Yeah. There was no question I think at that point next yeah. question from Greg Borchers what kind of special teams players are the new draft picks and undrafted free agents we don't have an official lift, list on undrafted yet uh, Greg always important to the 53 man and game day actives and how do they relate to returning players have you looked at any of these guys to see if they played special teams only senior bowl guys and I actually drafted a lot of them so I got to mark down and, and look Pratt but, was a, but none a of the undrafted one. guys right well, no, because I don't. I'm, I'm kind of still waiting to see the full list. We've only got yeah. like five or six, seven names total. Six or seven, yeah. Yeah, and there's going to be 15 or so. So uh, that's. And it will be important. Guys like Ryan Hewitt, when he was signed, I was like, oh, he's going to make the team, not only because I thought he'd be their best H-back type guy, but he was really good at special teams at Stanford. Um, I do think. Sample's going to have a big impact on special teams because your third tight end always does. Pratt is probably going to play a lot of special teams, and that's if he starts, I think he probably still would, but there's a chance that he he may just be a one-down Sam linebacker and he'll have to definitely play special teams. I think both the running backs, Travion Williams... Has experience and it looks good in pass protection, which translates to picking up uh, and being the front man or the mm-hmm. the up man, I should say, in pump blocks and or, or or punting teams, offensive punting teams. Probably some concern of his size there, but yeah, and that may be the case. But uh, they've they've had go do it in the past, also when when other guys have been hurt. So, mm-hmm. uh, Rodney Anderson is one I don't think plays a lot of special teams based on my memory, and maybe he did it early in his career, but I really don't remember that at all. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's the fourth guy in the inactive running back while the the three above are active and playing all, all phases of the game. So I, I do think they drafted a lot of guys that will help in that area. I don't think like Ronald Wren has ever done it. Uh, and I don't, th- besides field goal blocking, I, I believe he was in that. But uh, Jordan Brown will be the guy I'm interested in. Tall, has good straight line speed. Maybe he can be a puck runner. Have- doesn't tackle. That's the thing. Right. You can be a punt gunner. He's got good ball skills, so he can track it in the air and down it. But what if he actually has to tackle? That might be a situation.
2: Our next question comes from Brandon at Briscoe B. If you had to choose one offensive player to play defense, who would it be and which position would they play? Do the same for a defensive player.
1: I'm this is like, my favorite question. The Bengals. I'm going to say it's my favorite question of the week, and uh, we can start picking up the intro of music for next week if you want, if you agree with this, Jake. Yeah, we can do it. Okay. So one offensive player to play defense. And at first, I think the hard part, uh, the easy answer, right, is John Ross. They tried to make him a corner, and he played some corner. But I do think I could think of like a, um, a maybe uh, Billy Price playing nose tackle or, or defensive tackle. I, I could see um, maybe – Sample being a defensive end of some sort. But I would say that the best, the most ideal position would probably be John Ross going and playing corner. And because he has the speed and the, the athleticism to do it, and he wouldn't really, that'd be the one position he could play without trying to be too physical and getting himself hurt too often.
2: I think I like uh, Trey Hopkins on the defensive line. Okay. I feel like he's got some athleticism to him to play inside over there. Yeah, I can see it. Has the length, right? Yeah. And then defense on offense. Did you already do your defensive? No, I didn't.
1: I was thinking about it. I was going to think while you were talking.
2: I'm thinking Carlos Dunlap at tight end maybe, but then you think about maybe he doesn't have the bend and maybe that would give him some issues. But Carlos Dunlap at tight end would really create some mismatch issues. And then I was thinking...
1: um, Sam Hubbard's played fullback in their goal line. Yeah, that doesn't count. Well, yeah, he could play t- maybe tight end though is what I'm saying. Oh,
2: yeah, I'm sure Sam Hubbard would be a fine tight end for like an inline tight end because yeah. he weighs 270.
1: Uh-huh. Yep, I He's think Hubbard, Hubbard would be great for that. What about Sean Williams at running back? I know something like that. Maybe fullback. Let him take on the or, guys or,
2: or fedulum. Sure, Fegyllum at wide receiver.
1: Could oh, that I... work? I'd like to see his hands. I'd like to see William Jackson at receiver cuz he's got 437. Yeah. 40 speed, straight line speed. He's got ball skills to track it downfield. Yeah. Um I think That'd he would be could interesting. Do it. it would be. I don't, you don't I know cuz I I remember Andrew Whitworth catching a touchdown pass, right? And I'm yeah. trying to think if the Bengals have ever besides Pecko and Hubbard at fullback if they've ever did they let
2: Peco score at all ever? Not that I remember.
1: I don't remember it either. I, oh man, for some reason, I feel like they did, and now I, I'm, I, it's erased from my memory. But I do remember. If they did, it would have been worth like play scoring.
2: action on a on a flat, right? right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Right, and then uh, so yeah, that 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 could have happened. It could have worked. And I'm I'm thinking, who would be the defensive guy you would allow to score? I'd love to see Geno Atkins get a handoff and, and score the the way Car, uh, Kyle Williams and the Bills last game. Remember that they let him yeah. score up the middle. Yeah. Uh, and Mike Vrabel used to catch touchdowns all the time, lining up at, at tight end, and they'd even flexed them out and throw him a fade. So that's so let, let's say that with Carlos Dunlap. Next question. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Ben Wintle. I'm not even going to shaba dabba, I believe. You're, we're close there. All right, guys. Uh, we are loving what you do from the UK. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I have been a Bengals fan since 2015, and my question is, what makes Jonah Williams so different to Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher. How did we get it so wrong? And is there any danger we have done it again? There's some danger. I think it's a pretty small
2: danger. There's always danger. There's no such thing as a safe draft pick in the NFL. And if anyone tells you offensive linemen are safe, well, they're wrong. They are. But the better question when you compare Jonah Williams to Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher is to ask what they have in common rather than what makes them different. Because that's a much smaller list, I think. Oh, okay. I
1: see what you're saying. Yeah, uh,
2: Jonah Williams and Jake Fisher. Well, they have the same first letter to their first name. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, Cedric Obuehi and and Jonah Williams both played for schools south of Tennessee. Okay, that's all I got. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 big difference is Obuehi and Fisher were both very very athletic players that were yeah. raw coming out of school, needed sure. technique refinement, needed to develop the use of their hands because they that's didn't the have it. And Jonah Williams is not an uber athlete, but has the technique and has it very, very refined for a college player coming
1: out. Yep. And I would say I, I touched on unnatural versus raw. Jake Fisher was raw. Uh, Cedric he was unnatural and it's weird and it, like, it, Ben's asking this question because he just started following the Bengals in 2015, So, and he's from the U.K. He didn't have the, the this exposure. I'll, I'll take you back to that draft. Obwehi, for us, and Ryan Coyle, who we've had on before, is a good friend of the show. Uh, him and I were grading offensive linemen that year. We had Cedric Obwehi as a day three pick. Uh, we were not happy with, with, with that selection, as you can imagine. Uh, and Obwehi was, for all intents and purposes, uh, a very ideal-looking offensive tackle. Prospect, he was long, 35 inch arms, supposedly really athletic. We had no proof because he was dealing with an ACL injury that wiped out his final uh, quarter of 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 his of his final season at Texas A and M, and he never got to test. So we didn't have proof that he was athletic. Everyone told us he's a real athletic guy. So when you watch him on tape, though, he was exactly who Cedric Boy he was for the Bengals. He struggled with power. Uh he his hands were late and wide and 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 no punch at all to his game. Uh no power, no drive to his game. No he didn't really seem like he he really cared either. So and that continued. And, and it was a bad pick. That for some reason they convinced themselves it was worth it. Uh, apparently they talked about he was a top 10 guy. If he wasn't hurt, I think that's completely insane. I, I, I never agreed, and it was a complete miss on their evaluation. Um, he even played guard. He played right tackle. When the left tackle left, I think it was Jake Matthews at the time. I could be off a year. a uh, oh boy, he went to left tackle and was benched and moved back to right tackle within a few games because he was that bad. Uh, so it was a bad pick all around, and I, this is not that with Jonah. Jonah is technically sound, tough intelligent smart he cares about it he, he wants to be good uh, he may not have the upside athleticism or the length of a boye, but this is a great example of why it's just not numbers on a paper and this guy is actually a good football player you like both you'd like a guy to be actually good on in football and a good player uh, but sometimes you have to, to pick one in this case with Williams you're picking a good football player now Jake Fisher is another story I think the injuries. To really derailed him and he may have actually had a decent career if not for back injuries and, and chest and heart and and whatnot so um that pick is a little bit different
2: i still would love to hear paul alexander tell us what the eval was on a boy he and what went wrong because yeah. you read his evals on this year's draft class and i found myself agreeing with most of it yep. if not all of it well, maybe a little bit of disagreement on some guys, actually, now that I think. Sure. Of but, but I mean, that'll happen. But he Pratt. was, I mean, he was, that was his guy, right? He was on the table yep. for him. Yep. Next yep. question comes He was from... on the table for uh, Russell Bodine, too, so I'd like to ask about that also. Well, at least Russell Bodine's better than, never mind. Next question <laughs> comes from Andrew Goddard. Apart from Jonah Williams and Jermaine Pratt, who are likely to see the field the most this year, which rookie do you think will have the biggest impact in
1: year one? Keep up the great content, fellas. We will. Thanks, Andrew. I think it's Joan Williams on an island. I wouldn't even put Pratt in there. And I say this because if we look at the past history of third-round linebackers, you would say, well, we may have him see Pratt for more than 11 snaps like Jefferson last year. And you may say, well, Joe, it's a brand-new team. It's a brand-new direction, brand-new coaching staff. That doesn't have to happen again. And I would say you're right. But that could also mean that it's Malik Jefferson playing. It could also mean that it's Jordan Evans playing. It doesn't have to mean it's Jermaine Pratt just because it's a new system. And these other guys may get time and and opportunity just as much as he does. So
2: I I would say – I think Pratt will get a lot of playing time.
1: He's their guy. They need a linebacker badly. I do too. I'm just saying if it happens to go the other way, don't be surprised either. And uh, so Jonah, I expect to play 1,000 snaps. Pratt may play 500, even if he's a starter, and and I'll say I'm linebacker because I don't expect him to be uh, in the nickel packages right away. So after that, who's going to play the most, who's going to have the biggest impact, in my opinion, will will be Drew Sample. Because we talked about this on a previous podcast, maybe even been yesterday or two days ago. I almost consider Eifert as a wide receiver. And when you look at it that way, Sample is the only wide tight end on the roster, even if Eifert's there. But Sample's the only wide tight end on the roster. It's got the guy that's going to play in line. He's going to block. He's going to do a lot of things in the run game. Uzama has done that in the past, but he's definitely more of a move type tight end. And if you're saying, well, those are your only two tight ends, really, if Eifert's a, a glorified receiver, well, then Sample will play. And he could play a lot. He could play 300, 350 snaps, I think, would be reasonable for that type of tight end.
2: This is why the draft didn't get really good grades from us, I think. Right. Because looking through it, I mean, in retrospect, I think maybe we were a little harsh on it when we went back and looked at other teams by comparison. Yeah. The Bengals didn't stand out negatively, and I right. think that maybe there may be more of a B- and a C minus. So I think maybe we, maybe we were a little harsh. There's always opportunity
1: the costs, though, right? They could have drafted this guy or done yeah. this differently, uh, and so we, I, we always have that.
2: Right. But you look at the rest of the ro- rest of the class after the first three rounds, and you could say Rennell Wren, yeah, he's gonna you know he has a chance to be really good because of that athleticism, or you can say Michael Jordan could be Clint Bowling in the long run. Uh but Ryan Finley's a backup. Rennell Wren is unlikely to have a year one impact. I think he pro- I think everyone probably agrees, and especially for interior linemen, that he needs some
1: seasoning. He's going to be inactive every week unless someone gets hurt. It's yeah, going to be Glasgow, Billings, and, and Gino Most likely. Uh, and then Jordan
2: is is almost certainly a backup to start his career. Yeah. But, you know, he's a good backup. And then you, you look at Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson. They're running backs three and four. If Rodney Anderson is healthy and 100%, then he's a dark horse to be a, a big impact player in year one. Yep. But then the question is still, how is he going to actually get snaps? And then mm. Jordan Brown in the seventh round. I mean, he's, he's a seventh round pick. What do you want from
1: him? He's going to make the roster first.
2: Yeah. So th- so this kind of brings us back to the draft grade discussion a little bit because you start to look at who's going to make an impact this year. And there, there, there's not a ton. I mean, and this is true across the league, but there's not a ton of guys you feel like they
1: could step in year one mm-hmm. and make the team better. And that could be a sign that maybe the Bengals roster is a little bit better than we think. And these guys That's also but it's true. also yeah. it's also a sign that they probably drafted backups. I mean, we know Drew Sample is going to be if when you think about it, a backup because those other guys are going to play and at even least though, in year one. Right. And Finley will be a backup. Michael Jordan will be a backup. You set it off. Ryan Renel Ren, it's gonna be a backup. The only yeah. guys that have a chance to actually start is Jermaine Pratt and I think his starting opportunities are even limited unless he comes in and sets the world on fire. Then he'll play as much as he needs to. Uh, it's really Jonah Williams and everyone else is a role player this year. There's a chance uh,
2: Jermaine Pratt sets the world on
1: fire. Sure, it could happen, just like Drew Sample sets. The world I, on. I
2: just have this feeling. With you Pratt. do, huh?
1: I do. It put it on the record. Jake Lisco has a feeling. I have a feeling. Jermaine Pratt. I like it. Yeah. We ready for the next one? Yeah, let's go. We're getting down to the last few here. It's from Travis Parker. He asks, or he wants Bengals defensive and offensive player of the year predictions. I'm not,
2: I'm going to go chalk here. I'm going to actually on on offense. I'm going to say, I think it's going to be Joe Mixon in this offense. I agree. And on defense, I see no reason to believe it'll be anybody other than Geno Atkins Unless Jesse Bates goes out there and he's Ed Reed, which would be fantastic,
1: right? So I think it's fair to to name the best player on defense in say atkins I also think there's a slight chance it's Carlos Dunlap, of course. And yep. um, you know, what if William Jackson turns William into a shutdown Jackson, number yeah. one? Right. So there's a lot of scenarios. I think it, you're very safe to say Gino because he's still probably the best player on the on the team. Uh, and then offensively, it could be Andy Dalton. I do think he would be a great fit if this was a Rams-style offense, which we, we are led to believe and hope. I think we are hoping for that. So it could be. It could be. And we said earlier, who do we really want to see in this offense? A.J. Green. So I don't yeah. see uh, that being crazy guys, either. Yeah, yeah.
2: The, the thing about it being a Rams-like offense is Zach Taylor still has to run it the same way that it was run in L.A. And that's the challenge to implement it, right?
1: Sure, but you're going to have different influences because you're not bringing just guys over from LA. Oh yeah, up. I'm just saying, don't expect them to be the Los Angeles Rams in year one. If they no. are, great. But I mean, that's the hard Rams to do. weren't even Rams in year one. They were better, but yeah. they were still finding their footing. Yeah.
2: Next question comes from Bengals Junkie at Bratzel Kyle. Is that because you like Bratz? Or because it's with a Z? I don't know. Uh, if you were an NFL player, what number would you wear and why?
1: Thirteen was my favorite numbers. The first number I ever get, I ever got, and the first sport I, or receiver. Mm. Yeah, okay. I can be a receiver with thirteen. All right. All right. Um, it would be those two numbers. Uh, oh, two numbers. <laughs> it'd be that. The, it'd be thirteen. And I was gonna say, if it had to be any of any other numbers, I'd pick eighty-seven for my birth year or thirty-seven for my original punch-in number at my first job. There you go. Uh, Eighty. Jerry Rice. That's it, huh?
2: Just yeah. eighty. Are you a receiver in your mind? Uh, at, at this point, yeah. I, actually, you know what? I am. I'm Hunter Renfro. Oh, you are Hunter
1: Renfro. Or, or you know best. what?
2: You know what I am? I'm <laughs> yeah. I, I measure close to Hunter Renfro. Um, I, I'm John Ross in the red zone. Between the twenties, oh. I'm not interested. When when I can score a touchdown, I'm very red interested. Red zone
1: threat. Yeah, right. okay. that's
2: that's where I want the ball. I'll get open in the end zone for sure.
1: Uh, even though we said we won't talk about it till Monday and we won't, we're not going to say anything spoilery. The next question is from, hi, my name is Jared at Irish football. Jared's a good friend of the show. He says, or asks, what's the grade for Endgame?" So we're just going to give a letter grade and and get out of here. A. it is an A, isn't it? I I, I have 10 categories that I grade all the Marvel movies on. I know big nerd, right? Surprise. And it grades out as the number one movie in the franchise. And I think it definitely is.
2: I've talked to people that liked Infinity War better, and I personally liked Thor Ragnarok better because Thor Ragnarok was just a different kind of movie for than sure. the Marvel stuff. Like, it's just, there. there's certain things that are just, you know, superhero movie traits that are just in every superhero Formulaic. Yeah. yeah. And so what Thor Ragnarok did is they, they kind of threw that out. And, and there were yeah. still some elements of it if you really look for him, but uh, what's his name? Why, why, Taika uh, Waititi? Taika Waititi, yeah excellent director
1: he is very fantastic i hear his other stuff's good but actually i've only seen uh bits and pieces of yeah
2: what's uh, the wilder people hunt yep. for the wilder people i think is is a new zealand film that's very very good it's hilarious i've watched it
1: is it on netflix because i'll watch it if it's well, not on netflix i, I have remember. netflix and hulu but I don't, I don't got all the uh i think hacking it, I think it like was i can't
2: remember anymore
1: Anyways, I also give Endgame an A. I do think it was uh, such a complete r- wrap up of the movie of of the franchises that was totally unexpected and and really, I mean, expected because they they they've been good for so long. But I just it amazes me that they pulled it off.
2: I I, I have complaints about Endgame, but they're minor. They're very
1: minor. You can I think pick we can any talk movie. about them, too. And because the more I think about I've seen it twice now. I'd love to see a third time go to IMAX, maybe get you know blown away in my chair while I'm watching it. Yeah, but, that'd be fun. Yeah, uh, just did because you of it in some 3D? of these scenes.
2: Are you I a did. 3D movie person?
1: I once in 3D. It's actually called RPX. I don't know if you guys have that. as a regal thing. It's like the seats are vibrating. Oh, and, that's and, fun. Yeah, it was fun. And the 3D glasses, the screen's wider. So it's not full IMAX, but it was pretty awesome.
2: The, the issue I have with 3D is I forget to bring my glasses, uh, I forget to put contacts in, and then I'm yeah. wearing them over my glasses, and then like they don't quite fit. And That's my wife. Too. Yeah. It's, it's 3D isn't a great experience for me, uh, but I would love to see it in IMAX. That's going to do it for us, Bengals fans. This has been the Locked On Bengals podcast. This episode was brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you have a need to recruit, go check it out at slash locked on for a free try. We will see you next week, Bengals fans. It's the weekend, there's no draft. So until then, have a good one. A Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.